Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Do We Love It podcast. We are recording live from Venice Beach. Uh, We are going with a little different format. I know some of the avid listeners might be a little cheesed at me because I have not recorded in two weeks. I was traveling. I was in Charlotte. I was on an airplane. And then I was in Boston and just being flat out lazy because it was the day after Thanksgiving. Nobody should work on that day. Um... REI took it off, so so did I. Uh, But to make up for it, we are doing a special interview on kombucha with Hannah. Now, Hannah is an award-winning author, at least in my mind. I'm not sure if there's an award, but if there is, she's (laughs) telling me there is. Um, And she is a world-class expert on kombucha or as some people like to say, kombucha, the French. Um, so I guess maybe we could start out with a little intro, how you got into it, where people can find you, what inspired the book, uh, a top level summary on yourself. All right. Hey, everybody. I am Hannah Crum, the kombucha mama, mother to mazillions of bacteria around the world. (laughs) Um, My business is called Kombucha Camp, Camp with a K, because I'm cute and clever like that. I'm sure you can tell as you listen to this interview that that's true, and especially if you've read our book, The Big Book of Kombucha, aptly named as it is a 400-page book, sold over 100,000 copies. It's uh, pretty popular. So um, it is an award-winning book, a silver nautilus. We are very proud of that. And it is a bestseller as well. So um, I call it kombucha kismet because I literally had never heard of it. I shopped at Whole Foods but didn't even notice it at all in the aisles. And I visited a friend from college. I'm from the Midwest. And he'd moved to San Francisco. Now, San Francisco... We have a lot of Midwest listeners. Can you specify? Oh, sure. Um, I'm from Chicago. And I went to school at U of I Shampoo Banana. Champaign-Urbana, for those of you not in the know. Um, I majored in Mandarin, Chinese, and Spanish, and I lived in Taiwan. And uh, just this year, I finally visited two Spanish-speaking countries. So, you know, it took a little while, but I knew I could speak it here. But I finally went to Spain and Mexico earlier this year, which was really awesome. And I gave my first presentation about kombucha entirely in Spanish. Also very exciting. Um, But, yeah, so I was visiting my friend from college, and he'd moved to San Francisco. I lived in L.A. at the time. This is the early 2000s. And... San Francisco is just one of those groovy places. So we're getting a tour of his apartment. He's got like a filter on his shower water. I was like, oh my gosh, get the chlorine off my skin. What a brilliant idea. This is amazing. And then in the kitchen, they're drinking this like pink Himalayan salt water. And I'm like, salt water is so bad for you. How are they drinking this? This is terrible. And why is it pink? It was so weird. Now, of course, I love salt. I've always loved salt, but um, it's all pink Himalayan now salt. now you feel okay drinking it. Uh, well, I don't drink it, actually. I just uh, <laughs> use it liberally. That and Celtic sea salt. I'm off the iodized stuff. Man, I remember in Chicago driving past those huge Morton salt piles that were just, like, right next to the highway. Now I think back, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I must have had so much pollution just on that salt. How gross. Um, in any case, I digress. And then we got to this room, so not even the kitchen. And in the, there's a box on a table, and in the box are jars, and the jars are filled with all these weird floaty things, and they go, that's the kombucha. Never heard of it. We didn't even try it. But that word, kombucha, 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 it just sticks in your head. So I get back to L.A., go to Whole Foods, and lo and behold, there's an entire section of kombuchas, which I just had never seen before. So I grab a GT's ginger ale off the shelf. I crack it in the store. I take my first sip. What was your first sip like, Dr. Water? 
That's that's a good question. Um, Did you do a spit take? No, I I actually I I, I liked it. I, I liked the fizziness of it. Um, I was a little taken aback by uh, I don't know if like vinegary is the right way to to put it. Kind of sour, um, but I'm not. I'm a fan of uh, of of sweets like candy but like in terms of like drinks I don't like sweet drinks like with beer I like really dark beer um I drink my coffee black I drink my tea straight you um, love water with lemon I love water with lemon I do not I, I don't like uh flavored sweets um so the vinegar sour taste is what like resonated with me well, it resonated with me, too. When I took my first sip, I thought the heavens opened, the angels were singing, and literally every nerve ending in my body was just electrified. Now, some people might say that's because of the sourness, but I have to admit, I was the girl sneaking the pickle juice out of the pickle jar. My mom would always yell at me, don't drink that, so bad for you. I see I probably needed the salt and the sour. But um, I really love the flavor, so for me, I just... Like a lot of people, my thirst outgrew my budget. And because I'd seen those mysterious jars, even though I was a terrible cook, I was still very much a, you know, sad, standard American diet, processed foods, ramen kind of person. Um, it just really inspired me to um, to make it myself. And so that's a, that's a means of saying, hey, look, even if you're not good in the kitchen, kombucha is so easy to make and it's somewhat foolproof because of the fermentation that you really should just give it a try. I agree. Um, going back to what you were saying about pickle juice, little tip for the listeners. So on, on this show, we like to give a little tip. We give them a heads up so that they can pull out their Do We Love It notepads. Mm. Um, pickle juice is like a magic elixir for curing a hangover. Um, do you know if kombucha has a similar effect that pickle juice does? A thousand percent. And in fact, maybe even a little more. And that's because of the healthy acids that are created. Now, keep in mind, these are the sour kombuchas, right? They're going to do a much more effective job than the sweet ones, especially if you're buying commercial stuff. And the reason for that is later in the fermentation process, there's these gluconic and glucuronic acids that are created from that process. And those acids both support a healthy liver. So it also helps with things like diabetes, controlling cholesterol. Okay, and let's get real here. I'm not making any claims. This is all based on a lot of anecdotal evidence, but there have been some research studies, and you can find an appendix of those in the back of our book, that do show in rat studies and some in vitro studies um, that, that it does have these potential properties available. So I know we're skeptical in this country about anecdotal evidence, although my, my thought process is like, the only reason we ever study something is because we've heard it helps people. And so I think there is a place for it. But again, it's what kind of kombucha are you drinking, not just any kombucha. Hmm. It's a good point. Um, so in that regards, would you say um, some of these more commercial brands that are found in stores, do they, are they, do they have more preservatives I guess or things that you wouldn't want in it compared to stuff that you might make at home similar to if you were brewing beer or you know essentially anything that you make at home compared to you buy in a store there's more likely going to be preservatives in something in a store than you know obviously you're not doing that at home is that the same with kombucha or will com commercial kombucha hold just on pure brewing 
So that's a great um, thing to talk about because the really awesome thing about kombucha, in the, it, at least in the moment, is the vast majority of them are unpasteurized. So a lot of people think that, oh, well, it's in a bottle, it's in a store, it must be pasteurized, and that's not true. So you're always looking for the kombuchas that say raw, organic, they got floaty bits in there. I know, they look weird, but that's the stuff that really helps support a healthy liver are these yeasty bits that you'll find floating in the bottom. Um, and so what I mean by commercial kombuchas is just sometimes we have this sort of artificial um, definition of what an alcoholic beverage is, and that doesn't always jive with traditional fermentation. Um, so kombucha does contain trace amounts of alcohol, but it's there as a preservative. And because of these healthy acids, it's actually like a antidote with your poison. <laughs> um, so we love kombucha cocktails and things like that. But if you're buying it at the store and it has that sweeter profile because they're trying to target that American audience, which unlike you and I, doesn't really care for that sour stuff as much. That's all I'm talking about. And often if it is a raw kombucha and it is on the sweeter side, you can leave it on your countertop and the magic of fermentation will continue and you will get that tangier beverage that um, has more of those healthy acids. That all makes sense. I feel like... Uh for all our under 21 listeners, they might be rushing to the store as we speak because they can buy it. Well, and that's the funny thing, though, is it's not intoxicating. And this is the arbitrary nature of this definition that was set at Prohibition, which is half a percent alcohol by volume. Um, you know, you can't get drunk from drinking kombucha. And in fact, the exact opposite, because it helps with your hangover. It helps to mitigate toxicity from alcohol. So again, it's a personal choice, but we have a lot of friends and family who are in the program, AA that is, um, who choose to drink kombucha and are not triggered by it at all. And of course, there are other folks who choose to avoid it for personal reasons. So it really does come down to what you feel comfortable with and listening to your body. And as we say, trust your gut. That is your tagline. And I noticed that in all your emails, which I appreciated. Um, so Kind of, I guess, to take a step back, um, I'm sure we have a lot of people who are either unfamiliar with kombucha, have never had it, or, you know, some, there's probably some people out there who, uh, if my friend Alberto is listening, he is a chemist and he's well into it, um, but for the people who are newer and unfamiliar with it, what would you, like, what, what's a top-level summary of kombucha and kind of the, the brewing process to keep it, like, a, as simple as possible for somebody new? Super simple. You've got the ingredients at home already, tea and sugar, they're in your cupboard. So that's essentially what kombucha is. It's fermented tea. So we brew up a pot of sweet tea. The recipe's on the website, so I won't belabor uh, that information here. But basically, you're brewing tea. This is why it's so easy to make. Who doesn't know how to make tea? You don't even have to boil water. You can make sun tea if you wanted. But you make tea, you add sugar, and now here's the part you probably don't have, and that's what we do at Kombucha Camp. We're bacteria farmers, so we're more than happy to get you set up with your first SCOBY. And don't worry, it's gonna reproduce, so you'll literally get a lifetime supply. Another great place to get it might be a friend, but to define what it is, a SCOBY is an acronym for Symbiotic Culture of Bacteria and Yeast. Super simple. That's, that's a Jeopardy question. <laughs> you know, we were on Jeopardy. Our, were you? Well, we watched Jeopardy every night when we when we eat dinner, and one night we happened to be the clue. Wow. The answer to the clue. I know. It was so exciting. The Big Book of Kabucha. Really? Yes. Wow. Is that? Oh, I guess It's that not one. in the book. <laughs> that is such a stupid <laughs> question. <laughs> Maybe in the second edition you can add that to the book. Exactly right. Exactly like the second right. edition, you could maybe you could have Alex Trebek do the forward for the second. You're like, hey. Right, because he's such a huge kombucha head. Yeah, oh. 
clearly. We just got that re-up on his contract. We thought he was going to retire at the end of this year, but no, he's staying. <laughs> okay, I'm a big Jeopardy nerd. Um, I am too, I am too. <laughs> but that, that SCOBY is basically made of bacterial cellulose. It's also called a pellicle. Another word would be zuglia, which means living skin. And that's really how it functions. It's, it's a lid. So let me just sort of describe the process. So we make the sweet tea, we add the SCOBY, and then we have to add some starter liquid. So starter liquid is already fermented kombucha. Another term for that would be backslop. Basically, you're using some from the batch before to start the next batch. Of course, if you're buying a culture for the first time, it definitely should have starter liquid with it in order to make sure you have a healthy ferment. So then you cover all that up with a cloth cover, tightly woven, no cheesecloth. You don't want the... Fruit flies, a.k.a. vinegar flies, to get in Gu- there. Guilty over here. <laughs> I, I used a cheesecloth, and then I started reading your book, and I was like, oh, that's why I have a ton of fruit flies. That's exactly right. So you get the tightly woven cloth, and that keeps them out. Um, and then what happens is the SCOBY might sink to the bottom. And this is the question I get all the time. Oh, my gosh, the SCOBY sank. Did it die? Now, SCOBY is also called a mother, but it very quickly becomes a daughter. And no, it didn't die. But what happens is, as the fermentation process occurs, the yeast start consuming the sugar. They're splitting that table sugar, which is sucrose, from a disaccharide into its monosaccharide components, which are fructose and glucose. Glucose is where we get these G-forming acids, the gluconic and glucuronic acids that are so good for us. Um, So as that happens, the other byproducts of yeast fermentation, as you already know from brewing beer, are CO2, and trace amounts of ethanol, which is actually a preservative. Yeast are these really amazing creatures that are, you know, more closely related to humans than bacteria are, Um, but they have devised this strategy to outcompete other organisms by creating trace amounts of alcohol, and sometimes more than trace, depending on the fermentation process. So when that happens, then the mother might start to rise to the surface. But in the meantime, the new layer has already started to grow, and it always grows to the exact diameter of the surface. So let's say you're brewing in a square vessel for some reason. You'll end up with a square SCOBY. If you're in round, you get round, octagonal, goes on and on. Very adaptive. It's incredibly adaptive. And so why it grows exactly to the size of the vessel is because it's creating a barrier. It's literally creating a physical barrier to present any, uh, prevent rather, any other outside, um, you know, passerby organisms from consuming that sweet tea substrate. It's also creating a lid that's a physical barrier to prevent any bugs from getting in and tertiary, it's creating an anaerobic environment for that second part of the fermentation process to occur. So the ethanol ends up being converted by the bacteria into these healthy organic acids and this is the vinegaration process. So we're essentially drinking tea vinegar, but vinegar is defined as 